Uh, we're talking about the atonement. We've been talking about the atonement. And um, we went through a few of the different theories last time. And mm-hmm. each one we kind of talked about had something, elements of the, the atonement that were very true. Mm-hmm. There was tended to be something that was missing from that, that, that version or that theory of what was done on the, uh, on the cross. And so today we want to kind of like, we'll revisit them a little bit and think back into, okay, what, what was it that was there that was really important that is true of the cross and what did Christ did on the cross? But we'll also try and put everything together so that we're not leaving out any of the essential aspects of the work of Christ. And so if, you, if you're in the, the handout, I'm on, kind of, I'm on page, for page three. And so we're talking about the penal substitution theory. Mm. Number five. Okay. So formulated by John Calvin, right, this teaches that Christ's death was a vicarious or substitutionary. So by vicarious, we mean that's another word for substitutionary. It was a sacrifice for our sins that Jesus' death satisfied the demands of God's justice upon sin, paid the penalty, brought forgiveness, imputed righteousness, and ultimately reconciled repentant sinners to God. This is the correct view that we'll be fleshing out in the following sections. So we're trying to combine all the elements that were maybe left can sometimes be left out and focus on what really happened, why did the cross happen, what mm-hmm. was accomplished through there. So as you kind of read through that list, is there, what is it that maybe stands out as something that maybe was missing from one or more of those theories? Is that satisfied the demands of God's justice upon sin? So there is, there is a demand of justice. Um, and there is a necessity for those, there's a necessity for that justice to be fulfilled. So there was a necessity for Jesus' death and sacrifice. Yes, God's justice sometimes will say uh, God's wrath, right? the, the punishment aspect. And that was something that was missing from a lot of the theories was that idea that the cross was really to satisfy the punishment for, for mm-hmm. our sins. Okay. Is there anything else that, as you look in there, that seems to be maybe neglected or sometimes when we think about the, the atonement? I think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane where he says, if there's any other way, you let this cup pass. Mm-hmm. So you look at like the moral influence and the governmental theory, the example theory. Mm-hmm. It seems like there would be other ways to be examples or to kind of show the seriousness of sin than mm-hmm. having Jesus voluntarily, you know, go to the cross. Yeah. Uh, so, so I guess the necessity mm-hmm. yeah. seems to be missing. Okay. No other way. And so and we were talking about this the other, uh, last night with the kids, you know, like, how is there any way that God's wrath is, is satisfied or that God's justice is carried out? And we talked for a while and said, well, one way is that we die and we go to hell and suffer, right? So there, there is that way, right, in which God's wrath could have been satisfied, but it ended with all people suffering and, and no people being saved. And so it's the necessity kind of brings into play not just his wrath, right? 
but it brings into play his love and his desire to save. Uh, and so I think one of the things I asked them, and I would ask you, is that let's say you had to, you had to um, describe the, the, the necessity of the cross um, using some attribute or part. We've studied about God's character, all the different attributes of God's character. So what would be the one or two or three attributes of God's character that when you think about why the cross had to happen, what would be the one or two things that would say, because of this, that's, that's why we had to have the cross? His righteousness. His righteousness, right? Without that, right? Without his righteousness, we could just, okay, you're forgiven. No need to punish that justice say kind of a similar right just <coughs> love yeah I think that's when you think about we, we can tend to kind of miss one of those one of those two because again right we wouldn't we could have his righteousness and his justice with without without the cross we just everyone would go to hell right and we could have everyone go to heaven Without the cross, it was just there'd be no justice, mm-hmm. right? And so there's a sense in which God's God's love, His mercy, His compassion, and His justice they, they meet there at the cross, right? And that it demonstrates the scriptures talk about. There is a certain demonstration there of His love and His justice together at the same time. And so that's kind of how we want to work through like how exactly does that work? And so I think this first element. We'll go through a few, mainly three big elements of it. So first is the necessity. And so kind of what we were talking about. God can't just look at sin and say, oh, it's, it's no big deal. He can't just forgive it without payment being made. And uh, I was thinking about this. Can you guys think of times in Scripture where Jesus um, forgave sins? Can you think of examples Accounts, places you can go to. The paralytic, mm-hmm. he's brought down through the roof. Yeah, mm-hmm. let's go there. Uh, it's in uh, Mark two is one of the places. It's also in Matthew, Matthew nine, and Mark two. And you'll see that this idea, right? That there's a sense in which they understood the the gravity of forgiving sins, right? And so, we'll pick up um, in verse 5, Mark 2, verse 5. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes are sitting there questioning their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in their spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, and said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick, your, pick up your bed, and go home. Right. So he forgives sins. And there's a sense in which, right, 
the the question is he, he demonstrates it and he says to show you that I have the authority to forgive sins and so there's a sense in which um, when you talk about the necessity um, sometimes the question is asked you know who who does have the authority to forgive sins and on what authority mm-hmm. do, do we have that authority um, there's he also gives a parable of the the unmerciful servant it talks about the king forgiving let's go to that Matthew 18 I've got an example there so I thought this was an interesting parable when you think when you think about that necessity of justice and forgiveness so this is in the context where um, we've got him talking about if your brother sins against you and how to have you know biblical restoration and, and Peter comes up and asks how often should I forgive my brother and he's telling him you should you know forgive him not seven times but 70 77 times and so he gives this parable and it's this kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants when he began to settle one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents which was a lot of money right a lot of money I'd say millions of dollars probably. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So this fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and restored to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant, as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him over to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And as I was reading through that, I I love that because it's often been very instructive for me in terms of forgiving and being a forgiving um, brother. But how many times does it talk about payment of debt? That the debt has mm-hmm. to be paid. Yeah. If you look all yeah. the way through, back in towards the beginning, uh, since he could not pay, he would be sold. That payment would be made in verse 25. And then, uh, have patience me with me, and I will pay you everything. Right? Same servant went out. Pay what you owe. Have patience with me. I will pay you. Put him in prison until she, he should pay the debt. So there's this payment, there's payment, there's payment all the way through. And so even in this where it seems like the king just right wiped it away, there's a sense in which when he did that, he was paying the debt off himself. He was incurring that debt himself. Whereas if it's not forgiven, someone had to pay. Someone had to pay that debt. And so if you look at, let's look at Hebrews 9.22. According to the law, one may almost say, all things are cleansed with blood, and without shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. Yeah. So I guess one question is, um, you know, what does that, when we're, um, 
when we're talking with one another or talking with maybe an unbeliever, maybe sharing the gospel, what is the, what is the essence of why that debt had to be paid or um, how would you explain to them why the cross is necessary? Or what, what, what did Jesus accomplish when he died on the cross? We have the cross, and they say they make the objection. Why? Why? Why is that important? What's one element we could talk about? I go Help me out. I go all crazy. Go crazy. And I like to go back to Genesis. Okay, that's a great place. To uh, <laughs> I start at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. Um, and that the fact that God is the origin of humanity. And if he, if he is the creator and the source of humanity, then he has, he's the one who um, establishes the goodness, what goodness is. Um, and he has the, the, the authority then to, to demand it of us. Um, and so, well, both like the authority aspect and then also his, the compelling, like the fact that that the path he lays before us is, is necessarily good, and um, his design for humanity. So I think I, estab- I I like to establish that is like if he if he is the, the maker of all of all that there is, yeah. then he's the one who establishes what goodness is. And so if we if we as his creation break that, um, then we're responsible to what whatever consequence right. he lays out. Right. So that helps them. Do you find that um, there is a sense in which there's a? It sounds like that would be a helpful way to explain biblically death, like the purpose of death, in the sense that sometimes when you talk about the punishment, right, what for whatever that is, right, sometimes there's a misunderstanding, like why people die, or if it's even good, bad, or... Well, even the fact that, that justice exists, okay. that, that there would be a requirement for it, like upon me, mm-hmm. be, because at the cross, it's... I'm comp- I, the cross exists because of God like, taking on the punishment mm-hmm. for my, our sin. Yeah. And why would there be, why would there be a punishment? Okay. Why would there be a consequence? So, when you're when you're explaining or going through the gospel, sometimes you're saying it doesn't make sense to pay for sins if they don't understand that we have a sin that's worthy of or deserving of punishment. Right. And who and who would be the origin? Who would be the one that defines like who's guilty and what the punishment is? Right. Right. That's good. Yeah. I have people, and they, you know, again, they, they view death as it's just, you know, it's just a material thing, and that's just part of the life cycle. And it's, so yeah. I guess that's mm-hmm. that would be a necessary kind of foundational understanding of why death exists. I think one thing we have in today's culture is a real infatuation with justice. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, the idea of justice is, you know, the scales of justice any harm done to you or done to the innocent party, the guilty party needs to, need to experience the same amount of harm to kind of level it out. And a, a world without justice 
um, I think is kind of a world of chaos in this world where powerful people dominate the weak. And so the presence of justice is something that is very attractive um, to people. And so to, to say, why couldn't God just forgive is to, and just overlook it and not worry about justice is to basically indict the very concept of justice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think there's two sometimes. There's an, as, there's a, an aspect in which um, sometimes there's a conversation about justice that's lateral versus... Um, yeah. Where it's, you know, we are the victims. So mm-hmm. it's hard sometimes the cross helps us to realize that the, the primary victim in sin or the primary one who's been offended has been God, mm-hmm. and we are secondary in that, mm-hmm. in that sense. That can be hard to, yeah. to communicate, maybe. But I think if you ask anybody, like think of the worst thing that anyone's ever done to you. Everybody can dial that up, Mm -hmm. right? And was that wrong what they did? Or was it just hurtful? Mm -hmm. Right? I mean, there's a big difference. Right. Was your your rape wrong or was it just hurtful? And the cross tells us that it was wrong and that God is angry at it and there's Mm -hmm. an indignation because he said, do not harm each other. Mm -hmm. Right? And so. Even if you have, like, we're obsessed with interpersonal justice, but there's mm-hmm. no basis for that right. without a God above, and mm-hmm. really no basis for that without the cross. Mm-hmm. I mean, if there's no cross and you can just wipe it away, then your rape doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. And everybody can resonate with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so sometimes bringing up that idea that God has a moral will and that we violate it and that there is punishment that sin is a real heart of mm-hmm. getting at why did we have why do we have the cross and again there's always that it, it, it's it's only kind of half of the story right because we don't God doesn't need the cross to punish all sin so it's a way of bringing justice and also forgiveness so it's kind of together and I, and I think there's there's this sense where God delights in reconciliation and the cross makes that possible yeah um, and it does it it, it it pushes us that i i do i like to think back to genesis and that god made us for a relationship with him mm-hmm. and the fact that he he desires that mm-hmm. and so and the, and the cross makes allows for it yeah. in a way that we could never achieve yeah. so yeah. there's there's this punishment and then there's and there's the love the love aspect in which yeah. it provides that reconciliation that he yeah. created us for mm-hmm. the intimacy with him mm-hmm. back back in yeah. at the beginning yeah and it should lead us to I mean our, our society does long for justice and that one of, that's that's a, a really wonderful bridge to the gospel mm-hmm. maybe approaching it in a an unhelpful way but it's a huge opportunity because people are thinking and talking about justice but justice without the cross leads to just total desperation. Yeah. Uh, because there's no way to ultimately make things right. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and it forces you to actually think about other people's problems, but never yourself. Because if you desire justice and you see your own problems, then you're clamoring against yourself. Uh, because justice, <laughs> true justice, would destroy each of us. Right. Uh, and that's where the cross provides an actual solution to the problem so God can be just and the justifier of the ungodly. And then the, the why of the cross and all this stuff, I, I, 
I wanted this answer from the college students, you know, but I didn't yeah. hear it. Uh, <laughs> but the wages of sin is death. So that's, that's why. Yeah. Because God decides what's right or wrong, and he decides what the consequence is, and he has decided the consequence is death. Yeah. So how do you make things right if the consequence of sin is death, and we've sinned, then without the cross, we're just stuck. Yeah, I asked, and we talked a little bit last night, um, I was asking my kids, well, so, okay, so what is, what is death? Like, define it biblically, what is death? And they're like, okay, when you're, when you stop breathing, you know, okay, good, let's keep, keep going. So then, um, and then what happens? Okay, well, then you're in heaven or in hell. Okay, okay. So is, is everybody still dead if they're not, you know, if their body's not breathing? And so we kind of went into the idea, and I said, well, what, they kind of struggled for a while, well, what, what's life, right? So we have death and life. And so just the whole idea that, um, like you're going to the garden, that death is really separation from God, separation of breaking that relationship. And, you know, hell, that eternal death, is eternal separation from God. And life is knowing God, having her that relationship with God. And so seeing the cross not just as a, a way to um, deal with the physical death, but really the spiritual death that we experience, the separation from, from God. And realizing that it's not, it's not just to keep you, you know, exist that you're, you're already going to exist eternally. But it's, will you be separated from God and death, or will you be united with God? So, I think one, one thing about, when you think about the forgiveness aspect, when you look at Matthew 6, 14 and 15, for if you forgive others their transgressions, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. So, like, what is the basis, like, how, and I guess maybe this is a question, how is our forgiveness of those who sin against us and God's forgiveness of sin, how are those things different? What's the difference between those two? Is there a difference? I mean, you're kind of on an equal playing field with other people. Mm -hmm. Like, sure, they may have wronged you, but you're no better than them. You've done the same thing with God. Like, there's none of that equality, and so there's a lot less reason for him to forgive. Yeah, yeah. That's a good way of saying it. It's like you kind of bring up the merciful, right? He's he's a debtor, just like this person is a debtor to him. Um, it makes me think of the parable of uh, the he's given like the debt. He has the debt he has to pay. And so, like he um, paying, he's forgiving the smaller debt, but then the larger debt's been paid. It's like if you don't forgive the smaller debt, why should I forgive your larger debt? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the person, that person, is kind of in both positions. They're like, they owe the debt, and they're they're experiencing both both ends of that. And so, there's there's kind of a difference there. Yeah. Are we gonna? No, I, but I can gesture. No, no. <laughs> I you'll go crazy. Sometimes you might, go, you might be in Genesis and all of a sudden. Maybe the difference too. The difference is that I am sometimes wrong me to sin against me in that sense, but I'm not the judge. Mm -hmm. When we sin against God, He's actually the judge. So a, a different position in which we find ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, and it, yeah, in in a sense, there's not. 
I don't know if this is the same thing, but it's like no one owes me any sort of obedience in a sense. Like I didn't create them. I don't have the authority over their life to determine what they should and shouldn't do, right? There's a totally different relationship in terms of what is owed to me as a fellow creature versus to my creator, to my judge. And so there's, there, there's a big difference. And you'll notice that here, he does link those two together in the sense that our forgiveness is based upon um, the forgiveness that we've been given. And we are allowed to um, give forgiveness because of what, what we've been given. Yeah, another thing that's kind of interesting that's different between when we're sinned against versus sinning against God is um, we're often hurt and damaged by people's mm. sin against us, mm-hmm. where God is not. Yeah. And so there's a sense of um, compensation in some way mm-hmm. that's kind of necessitated when people sin against us because of damages incurred. Mm-hmm either reputation or financially, but with God there's no sense of compensation. It's, um, you know, his drive is merely, well, it's not merely, but it's driven by his sense of justice and rightness by itself. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's something that it's, it's important to recognize that, you know, in no way does any of our sin, we talked about this a little bit when we talked about the existence of evil, but in no way does our sin, um, incur any change or damage or yeah. d- diminish in any way God's yeah. perfection, his glory, his goodness, his holiness. And so his actions toward it aren't in, aren't in any way to rectify something that's been hurt or damaged mm-hmm. within him. That's kind of yeah. what you're saying. Uh-huh. It's more of a, a way of exalting and displaying and uh, executing his justice and his goodness yeah. among the universe. Um, yeah, I think I was thinking about oh, this is a, a good example, but um, sometimes when you talk about the love and justice, or even um, kind of his his um, how he acts towards sin, many times I think that we view um, love and hate almost as opposites in a sense, whereas in actuality. Um, you know, when, if God loves what's good, the degree to which he loves what's good, he will also hate what? Mm-hmm. He'll hate what's evil, right? Mm-hmm. With an eye. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, whatever it is that we love, the degree to which we love that, we will equally hate that which is in opposition to that. And so... Sometimes there's that that question, you know, how can God be loving and also hate at the same time? And so, really, um, the opposite of love is really apathy. And so, if God ha- did not love what is good, He wouldn't hate what is evil. He would just it wouldn't matter to Him either way. And so, in a sense, the cross, you know, He's got, you know, He put my infinity up here for the scale. Mm-hmm. He has the infinite love of what is good, and so at the same time, he has this unlimited wrath and hatred against what's evil. And so both of those things are demonstrated in that the wrath is poured out on Christ. And so his great love and his great hatred of evil are both kind of demonstrated in that way. And so sometimes, you know, it's, that, it's not that we... Um, 
it's, it's not that our, um, what's the quote about? Oh, I'm blanking out. There's about our affections, our desires. It's not that our desires are too too weak or too strong, but they're too weak. Mm -hmm. I think is yeah. right. So we know that there's this necessity to it, and then I'm on the right page here. Okay, that brings okay substitution. That's where we're at. That's talking about the, the aspect of his, his substitution, and so in a sense, right. Um, this is a right, it's an easy one, right? Christ, he died as a punishment for what? Our sins, right? And so we talked about, when we talk about the wages of sin is death, that makes it clear, okay, there's death has to happen. But the key factor is that it's not for his sins, but for ours, right? So we have a few verses here. So, Leo, you got one, John 1, 29, you can get that one. And Andrew, 2 Corinthians 5.21. And then Sam, can you read uh, Galatians 3.13? Right. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Okay. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Okay. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Yeah, so we often say, right, Christ came and he lived the life that we should have lived, mm -hmm. right? And then what? Died the death, right, that we should we should have died. And so here we kind of see that, that aspect where he is being a substitute in our place. And there's a sense in which um, sometimes that substitute, where we have Christ, um, Romans does a really good job of pointing to this too, capital, um, that we, we see all of our sin placed on Christ, or he pays that for that. But we also have a, this, there's a substitutionary aspect in which he subs stands in our place, right? Mm -hmm. So what goes here? Mm -hmm. His righteousness, right? And so there's a kind of a two-way substitution where not only does he stand in our place in the, in the receiving of the wrath and the punishment, but then we're allowed to then stand in his place and be resurrected and have his righteousness, his life, his goodness. So it's, it's not just one, right? Both are, both are necessary. We couldn't have a right relationship without both the taking away of our sin and the imputing of Christ's righteousness into our life. Uh, there's an objection, right? Isn't it improper? Right? How would you how would you respond? Isn't it improper and unjust to punish someone who's innocent? Yes. Um, from a legal perspective, <clears throat> um, I think that this is a false comparative, much like an earlier question of is it not unjust for the judge to oh, uh -huh. do that? Uh, I think they're both false comparatives, and this one specifically is discussing is it not improper and unjust to punish an innocent party? I don't, granted it's, it's an imperfect 
you know, comparative no matter sure. what. But I think rather than Jesus being incarcerated in our place, for example, if we're using a direct legal comparative, Jesus is almost putting himself on the line as bail or as a bond. And so he's, he is receiving punishment. Of course, he took the punishment for us. But specifically what he's doing is he is putting his life on the line to ensure that we remain out of prison that, and that as long as we have changed. And so instead of, instead of a substitution saying Jesus is in this criminal system being punished or sent to prison for us, what is actually happening is that Jesus is presenting himself as a form of bail or bond um, to the judge and saying, I present myself as payment in order that this individual might be, um, might be set free. And then, of course, on the extenuating, or on the, on the circumstances, you know, involving the person improving or actually being a better person and therefore being able to live um, uh, according to the law. Um, and so again, it's, it's an imperfect example either way. I'm not saying mine mm -hmm. is, is great either. But I just think that the, the saying that Jesus is simply punished or Jesus is simply sent to prison for us um, doesn't actually fit in with what is actually happening because if he was sent to prison for us, then there would be nothing, no responsibility on our end. Whereas that, that's not what's happening. We're being given the responsibility for our evil actions, but he's replacing us in the sense that he's allowing us to have a second chance. Um, well, I was, a couple things. Um, I think one of the reasons why we maybe talk about punishment is that, like in your example with the bail, like if I understand it correctly, usually bail is a temporarily setting them free until the 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 uh, trial takes place, and then once the judgment right takes place, then that person would receive whatever that punishment is, prison or even death. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, in one sense, it's not just that Jesus came in his life and endured the sufferings taking on our place, but he did endure the end punishment in our place. So he did actually, worse than going to prison for us, he experienced the death penalty for us. So that's probably where I would say. And I, I do think that there's a sense in which um, he does for us um, not necessarily just to give us the chance, but to like do what is impossible for us to do in that sense. And so um, it is, you know, I think one element is the payment for, for our sin in which, again, either we're, we have to endure that punishment or he's, he's going to have to. I think the danger of that, of that, that bail analogy is that if it's sort of I'll pay your bail, so that you can make your life better. Yeah. The whole point is we can't make our lives better. Yeah. And even if we could, we still haven't paid the debt for our sin. Yeah. So it actually is more radical than that. It really is debt. That's what it says in 2 Corinthians 5. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. So there's actually a full exchange. Mm -hmm. And that makes the death of Christ way more radical. If it was just he made a, a way for us to change our lives, mm -hmm. that'd actually be a, a works-based salvation. Mm -hmm. That he provided us an opportunity to earn what we had failed to earn yeah. previously. Uh, the only, in a sense, condition is he died for us, and we receive that gift through faith. 
Um, and then the transformation is because he died for us and he gave us his righteousness and the capacity now to live a righteous life. So I think it actually is, it is more radical. It is much more like Jesus stepping into the electric chair for us. Yeah. And that which is why the question of is it fair for an innocent party right. to even be able to do that? Yeah. And I, you know, if Malachi commits, my, my kids know that I tell them when they turn 18, you know you can get the death penalty, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> so if, I, if I choose to take the death penalty for one of my children, or all of them at the same time, yeah. um, is that fair or sufficient? I think it's more that. Well, my problem with your problem with my point is that your life teacher was banned. Everything else is valid. Oh, okay. Yeah, I have to okay. okay. <laughs> we'll talk about this over lunch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's it's hard for us to imagine because again, we don't have any innocent parties in in the in the biblical sense. We do yeah. have people that are innocent of say whatever crime we committed. So we that's that's kind of getting at the heart as to so what is going on and and to think between the relationship between the father the son and sinful humanity as to what is happening here and is it is it just so what are some elements in which uh kind of are a key part in the conversation of talking about how and why is it just for god that jesus actually suffer not for anything that he's done but in our place scott isn't one thing that he willingly gave himself yeah. and it wasn't like god the father forced him yeah Right, like you could, he was submissive in doing it. He offered it, yeah. Which then makes it not unjust because that's a huge element for sure. Like <laughs> John ten, you can see there. <laughs> for this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. Mm-hmm. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I have received from my Father. I thought it was interesting. It starts with the Father, it ends with the Father, but then there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I think ten times he says, I or me. So, the Father loves me, and then it's me, I, 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 me, me, I, I, me, me, I. Right? And then from the Father. So he's saying, right, this is me. I'm choosing to do this. The Father loves me, right? I'm choosing to do this. Let's go to um, Matthew 26, right? I think. We see this interchange, and this is one of my—it's just one of my favorite passages to think about. But it's Jesus praying in the garden. So he's in Gethsemane, starting in verse thirty-eight. Then he said to them, "My soul's very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me." And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, "My Father." If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And for the second time he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. 
So more than once he says, what's he say? What does he say there? He says three times he used the same words. What was it? Your will be done. He says your will be done. So we see that his his will is to do the Father's will. What else does he say in there that we see? Kind of talks about the necessity. He says, my father, if it be possible, hmm. right? If it be possible, if there's any other way, type of thing. And that's, I think sometimes that can be encouraging when people say, well, isn't, wasn't there a better way mm-hmm. to do this? Couldn't God have done this, right? And so you can point and say, look, Jesus was... A hundred, you know, he was with God and he was praying to God and he was asking right before this crucifixion, if there's any other way, you know, let this cup pass from me. So you see in the, which he's talking about, he's sorrowful even to death. So this was not an easy decision. This was a, not something that he necessarily looked forward to. It was very, very, very difficult. Very, very, uh, he knew that that would be very painful not just physically, but just the enduring the wrath. Let this cup pass. Nevertheless, not as I will. So there's an essence in which we see both from John, he's the one that's laying it down, willingly, choosing to do it, but he's doing it because he knows, again, this is the Father's will. This is the way in which the Father has determined that this needs to happen to accomplish all the good that, mm-hmm. that the Father wants to accomplish. So there's that, there's that element. So Jesus um, did it willingly. That's a huge, huge element. Mm-hmm. Right. It's also what he wanted to, or what needed to be accomplished. Like that was the focus. Like something bad had to happen so that something good could mm-hmm. be accomplished. I think of like Olympian <clears throat> athletes have to go through years and years of like excruciating training oh, uh-huh. and like... Mm-hmm self-discipline, denying themselves pleasures, like mm-hmm. years of that, day in and day out to get the gold medal. Right. Because like, there's a lot of hard work and like uh, painful things that need to happen, I yeah. guess. So like sometimes something painful has to happen. There's a cost. There's a cost, mm-hmm. yep. For sure. Yeah, but the question, uh, uh, is it just to punish an innocent party? Part of the whole gospel story mm-hmm. that God decides what's just, right? Yeah. Justice springs from his very being. Mm-hmm. And so from the very beginning, the story of the Bible unfolds this, is it the C.S. Lewis idea from last week, a deeper magic? Mm-hmm. <laughs> this deeper truth that an innocent party can willingly offer themselves in exchange mm-hmm. for a guilty party. And that's determined by God as something that's That's determined by God himself just. as he, that is part of his justice. He has built it into the fabric of existence. Right. Yeah. And so we see that from Genesis 3 on, this glimpse of substitution mm-hmm. ultimately reaches its only true fulfillment in in the person of, of Jesus. Mm-hmm. So is it just? Well, who decides what's just, right? Mm-hmm. And what's kind of, so my wife's saying she's being crazy, kind of crazy, is that God says that yes, yeah. I am willing to do this is just, but the only person who could possibly do that mm-hmm. from, and God always knew this was himself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing that's why I've been primarily struggling with legal, comparing legal terms 
because it's just it's just a legal implausibility. Mm -hmm. I don't like you're not allowed yeah. to. Sub I don't care how innocent you are. No judge is ever going to let you say, "Hey, can I go to prison for this mass murder?" Mm -hmm. It's not gonna happen. Yeah. It, they're not gonna let you do it for a misdemeanor. It's mm -hmm. it's a legal impossibility. It's it's literally not within. There's no precedent. It wouldn't be allowed. And so that's why it's difficult for me to compare it to legal mm -hmm. terms, or to be okay with us comparing it to legal terms, because it's, it's just just not comparable. Is it is it just for the judge to let somebody off? No, but also you have in in law you have to have malice aforethought to commit murder. Mm -hmm. To sin, you just have to think about it, right? Like it's just it's not it's not comparable. It's not the same. You can't. Of course, you want to reach justice in a way that honors God, but the degree of forgiveness is in no way the same because of the requirements that come from not only forgiveness but also how do we define breaking the law versus sin, which is so also deeply separated that it's just impossible to appropriately compare the two. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Passionate. Passionate, yeah. Well, it is, I think when you talk about the, the legal system, yeah, it's very much a shadow of the reality. There's, there's ways in which our legal system is far below Mm -hmm. God's, God's legal system. And we're locked in one place in space and time. Like historically, there have been legal systems that allowed someone mm -hmm. to offer a servant mm -hmm. in their place to take their punishment, mm -hmm. for example. And what's really interesting about that is that Christ became the lower. Like to mm -hmm. them, they would have seen that and been horrified because Christ became the lower. Right. Like, mm -hmm. It presents him as a. Yeah. Even less beneath. than the one who did committed the transgression. So in every in every legal system, what he did doesn't make sense mm -hmm. to us. But as Naomi said, or Joshua. You're the same. Um, yeah, one flesh. He determines what is and is not just. So in our flesh, we and just our fallen understanding, we're going to scream out, this doesn't seem just. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, and I, I think there's so many ways, and as we, I think one way to wrap up is that whenever, it, it's, it's sometimes it's very revealing about our own, what is it about our own particular, um, the, the ways in which we, um, great against or struggle with the cross itself kind of reveals a lot about what is wrong in our view of either God, man, sin, justice. There's so many elements that are that come together there that really clearly display God's view of himself and of man and his justice that when we look at the particular things in which we have an objection, sometimes that's revealing. Um, I was thinking that um, there was there was an element that you you don't you rarely see people objecting um, and saying you know how could how could Jesus' death ever be enough to pay for our wickedness and our sin you don't see people making this objection that it wasn't enough there needs to be more you know because you know our sin is so bad it's it's almost always the opposite direction that why did it have to be so bad and it kind of reveals that we our view of our sin is small because we never view the cross as necessary whereas if we viewed our sin as too great well the cross isn't enough to pay for that sin and so there's a sense in which the elements of the cross that we don't really don't get can sometimes ask well what is that what is that saying about how i view god or how i view justice or how i view my sin
And so um, where we'll start next time is kind of the propitiation element in the sense of the actual payment of, of that sin and kind of wrap up and we'll have a couple things at the end. So good lively discussion. I think the Smiths will have a good lunch. <laughs> Let me pray for us as we close. Lord, I just thank you for um, just these brothers and sisters and the great discussion that we have. I just thank you for their willingness um, to just talk and to share and ask questions. I pray that we would be a church that always holds your scriptures up and has a high view of you as a God who has revealed himself and who reveals himself through the flesh and through Christ and through your word. And I pray that we would always come uh, submitting ourselves under your word, seeking to grow and study your word in a way that brings honor and glory to you. I pray that you would stretch us and change us and correct us in all the ways in which we are wrong and make us again more into your image day by day. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.